Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. Uh, I'm so excited that you're back for another conversation. This is yet another one of our episodes about the paradoxes in the Harrison assessment. Again, the Harrison assessment is a tool we use to, uh, you know, map out culture, find out where people tend to go when they're when things are both flowing and stressful. And uh, in this episode, we're talking about the strategic paradox. Adrian, Dan, and I dive deep into the traits that make up this paradox, which is risking and analyzing pitfalls. Uh, as a reminder, the results for the Harrison are very visual. So I've used the thumbnail of this episode to show you this paradox. So I encourage you to take a look at that as you listen. Now, let's dive in to strategic. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian again, and we are continuing our series on the Harrison Assessment. Today, we are talking about the strategic paradox. And I will say this really quick, just to understand that paradox, when we talk about paradox and paradox theory, is that it's two attributes or, or, or two traits that we think are opposite of each other or contradictory, but actually when they exist at the same time, support each other. And Dan is just before we hit record, you were talking about how it's, it's interesting. Each of these paradox are laid out visually in a X, Y axis. Um, and the vertical axis is always the active trait. Um, meaning it's the one that we can notice the, the behavioral trait and the uh, x-axis, the, the, the horizontal axis is the supportive trait. So in strategic, and also the next four that we will do, I'll say, are under the leadership category of paradoxes. And I wanted, to, I wanted to address those ones first, just given the context of what we're up to in this podcast, lead, Naked Leadership. So these next four tr uh, paradoxes that we explore all fall under, according to Harrison, fall under the, the leadership um, category. And uh, so this first one is strategic. The two traits within strategic, the first one is risking. And that's like we were talking about, that's the active trait. So how, uh, and, and the, the definition for risking is the tendency to feel comfortable with business ventures that involve uncertainty. So the feeling comfortable with business ventures that involve uncertainty, not knowing what the outcome will be, but going after it anyway, and your level of comfort in that. The other one is analyzes pitfalls. That's the internal, that's the supportive uh, to to risking. And that is the tendency to scrutinize potential difficulties related to a plan or a strategy. So how much are you looking for those, the, you know, scrutinizing those potential difficulties that could arise in your risking ventures? I like this one. So I'll, I'll start this just uh, from my, my uh, where I land on this one is um, the top right quadrant, which is, you know, the, what we call the, the balanced quadrant uh, is mindful courage. And I just love, I love the label for that, for that quadrant. Uh, and that's where I fall. I fall. So I, I have a six on risking and I have a eight on analyzes pitfalls. So that puts me kind of towards the bottom right of mindful courage. Um, 
But so the, the definition they have for mindful courage is the tendency to analyze the potential pitfalls of a plan or strategy while at the same time being willing to take risk. Um, and this is business-based risk. This is risk. And this isn't, you know, your, your tendency to go jump off a cliff with a parachute on your back or anything like that. This is, we're talking specifically context. I think you'd have a 10 on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. I would <laughs> just show me what cord to pull. <laughs> right. I'm off. Uh, so as you, as you approach the strategic quadrant, uh, or a paradox with clients or in the debrief, is there anything that specifically that you start off kind of high level talking about this paradox? I, I, well, I let them know that this is really a, it's kind of exposing to them the way they relate to or manage risk, right? Because if you're high on risking, which I am, and you're low on analyzes pitfalls, you're going to fall into the more into the, with the impulsive quadrant makes sense, right? Because you, you move too quickly. Now I'm, I'm a nine on analyzes pitfalls and a seven on risk. So I'm right on the balanced area, but, but I do like to risk, but I, and I, I know that that nine on analyzes pitfalls has come through time because if you would have done this on me 10 years or 15 years ago, I probably would have been a 10 on risk and a four on analyzes pitfalls. Is that, is that when you were trafficking drugs? Is no. that, <laughs> that would it would probably be a, a ten on risk and a zero on analyzes pitfalls. <laughs> this is when I started the tech company. I think I was like a five on analyzes pitfalls and a, and a ten on risk. But I, you know, I think in, in these things, these are paradoxes. These paradoxes we change through time. Our preferences change through time. You know, so one of the things, and they can change with life events. They can change with experiences that you have. And I know for me, I know I was a much bigger, I, I didn't analyze pitfalls as rigorously as I do now. Even my wife notices that, you know, I'm all excited for the risk still, but before I go, I'm, I'm enumerating, okay, what could, what could happen? What could go wrong here? Right. So and that's, well, and, and naturally time is shorter, right? Yeah. I mean, at least seemingly. And then, you know, what's interesting is, it's interesting with clients you were talking about, like almost every CFO I have ever done this with tend to be lower on risk and higher on analyzing pitfalls. Yeah. I've had a couple that are really well balanced, but they tend to be more conservative. I, I just noticed that. Whereas the CEO will generally be a higher risker and they may be balanced in this area, but they tend to have the high risk profile and the low, lower analyzed pitfalls, but not always. CFOs, I just noticed, always tended to be much more cautious in their approach. Because if you're long on the analyzed pitfalls and shorter on the risking, you're going to fall more in the cautious quadrant, which is right below the mindful courage quadrant. And that's and knowing that, again, these are not predict are pre determinative. In other words, you're not determined that way. But if I know that, if I know where I'm going to generally land and there's some imbalance there, then I can check my initial reactions and see if they're warranted or what else might be available, you know, might be going on that I'm missing because I'm either too impulsive and I want to get going on this thing. And in that case, anybody analyzing pitfalls seems like, you know, um, raining on your parade, right? That's how, when I was, I remember, you know, when, when I was fully over on that risking side, anybody who had any wisdom to stop and go, hey, wait a minute, 
You know, let's talk about what could happen. Seem like, oh, well, get on board. Let's go. You know, what's wrong with you? You, you know, you old fart. You know. Uh, I'm experiencing this right now in another business that I own, Epic Man Trips. I'm partnered with um, a guy named Drew, who we've been partners in other ventures and businesses. And this is playing out just as you talk about this plays out perfect. Like I can see it so perfectly. He's high on risking low. uh, He hasn't actually taken the assessment, but I just, just having experienced his leadership over the years, I would assume that he's high on risking low on analyzes pitfalls and I'm higher on analyzes pitfalls. And so when he presents a plan, he's excited. Let's go. Let's do this now. And my mind goes to where could we fall on our faces? Yeah. So when I present those oftentimes at, at the start, and he's gotten so much better in our communication, us knowing these things, our communication has gotten so much more clear. And I can say to him, Hey man, I know this is going to look like me raining on your parade. I know this is going to look like me picking apart your awesome idea. It's not. I just, I want to look at where we could fall. Yeah. I want to, I want to strengthen it. Right. That's right. Because Eileen is very good at this. She's very strong on this analyzing pitfalls. And that's, you know, if you know it, even if the other person doesn't and you can spot them, you know, way up on the wrist, but low on, you can create language like you did there. It's like, Hey, no, I'm on your team. I just want to make sure, you know, we've got the right foundation in before we take off on this thing. Yeah. And I was thinking about uh, the opposite, same conversation with the opposite, the opposite flip as well. When you were sharing Dan about the CFO, because the, you know, the adventurous one, quote unquote, right. The higher risking one, that's going to have less of a preference towards analyzing pitfalls. If we keep that template in, and by the way, almost all of, you know, our, my clients, especially founder entrepreneur types, I don't know one that doesn't have a high risking number, which makes sense because you're betting on yourself. Um, but when they communicate, when they have a CFO, the one that they hired to cover their ass, they resent them. That's right. And, and right, because now, and they and then they actually out of, probably out of fear, they almost have this paternal relationship with the CFO. You know, so out of fear, they avoid them and then act irresponsibly to protect their, their, their freedom to risk. And then they're really pissed when the CFO is pissed that, hey, why didn't you bring me in this, so- this sooner? Well, they didn't bring you in this sooner because they don't want to hear your, bat- your, your, your like cautious idea. And instead of the founder getting the fact that, hey, uh, it's helpful to me to, you know, invite them in and bring in their cautious opinion. It's helpful to me. Like I want that cautious opinion for a couple of reasons. One is I'm probably going to frame my activity in a more healthy, sustainable, um, per, you know, uh, solution driven, you know, uh, uh productive, that's the word I was going for, productive way, if I can see more of the field, number one. Number two is, I better be a guy that can work with really cautious people, or gal that can work with really cautious people. I don't want to be seen as reckless, let alone be reckless, but let alone not seen as reckless. And, you know, they, and the other, the other thing that was happening for me was, they don't enroll them, I'm trying to think about how to say this, because they, um, they don't enroll them into sharing their opinions and also valuing something that they don't naturally value. Right. So here's what I mean is like, I want, if it's, we're picking on CFOs, if 
if the CFO has got a lot of cautious advice, it's my job if I'm the founder to also take them, take that cautious advice and submit it to the future, right? So it's useful, but it's also contained. Just like the person's risking profile, it's useful, but also contained. You take both ends of this dynamic and surrender them for the sake of what is what would the mindful and courageous person do? So if the person's really imbalanced towards the analyzer's pitfalls, um, I want their opinion, but their opinion also fits in to like an action-oriented person, if that yeah. makes sense. And so, you know, you end up kind of feeling, getting polarized and protecting oneself instead of really enrolling somebody. And this is the other thing too, is if you're going to be making a decision and you need the CFO on board, if you can language the decision in what, how he or she, how the CFO naturally languages their decisions like this, Hey, there's a big move. I think we should make in the third quarter. Um, there's lots of upside to it. I'm already starting to think about it. I've got, I've already seen, there's like three or four things we better keep an eye on. I want you to be thinking about those as well, but here's definitely what I want to figure out how to do. Right. So that's different than, Hey, in the third quarter, we're going to do this. Make sure it doesn't make sure we don't have this thing up. Yeah. Well, you know, and to, to the point on the CFO thing, just to kind of, after I said most CFOs, our guy this week that we're going to go do the offsite with the CFO that's in perfectly balanced, yep. nine on risk, eight on analyzes pitfalls. And he's like balanced all the way across that. So it's really interesting, uh, you know, to get, to, to get a CFO that's balanced. He, in fact, this CFO has more risk in his profile. He tends to prefer more risk than the CEO even does. But he's also balanced. So he's going to, I'm really looking forward to see what shows up in this conversation because this guy's going to bring a lot of um, balance to the culture where we're, we've mapped this culture so we know what we're going into. And this guy's a perfect fit. He's a new hire. He's, so the storming period around this new team is going to be, I, I suspect, much more productive just because I can see the balance in their different profiles. Yeah. Well, and this is a dynamic. I mean, this uh, one way, I don't know if this would be useful or even accurate, but my thought is, you know, the higher the culture is, uh, let me say it this way. There's like a difference between an entrepreneurial culture and a corporate culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually, you know, obviously the higher uh, entrepreneurial startup is going to be higher risk. It'll require a higher level of risk than a corporate culture that, you know, there's predictability, there's tradition, there's history, there's stability, you know, it doesn't take as much from the leader and from a courage perspective, if I'm just maintaining something that's great, not that, you know, people that are in corporate culture aren't pushing the envelope and such, but the nature of the business, you know, and so this one we're sitting with this week is like a, is, is actually, it's interesting. It was obviously a startup at some point, it started to tend towards corporate and now there's an ethic now about where's our startup roots and, you know, taking some of the governmental side down and getting back to, so, you know, it's the, the higher risking conversation is about to be re-championed internally. Um, so it makes sense. This CFO is the perfect match, you know, for this culture because he wants both. He's not begging to be at some huge, you know, some Procter and Gamble, he's begging to be here because he likes risking. And if he wasn't risking, he'd be bored. He doesn't want to go work for the Fortune 500 company. He wants to figure out his financial strategy in the context of building the plan as it's taking off. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and it's still a startup, really. That's right. Yeah. 
never finished the product. So that's why they're remaining in the startup phase, which yeah. I found interesting, you know, and they're actually having some concerns about the, poten the potential concerns around their, their corporate counsel. And I was just looking at, and she's a three on risk and a nine on, um, on uh, analyzing pitfalls. pitfalls, right? And one of the things the CEO wants from this council is to not just state the potential breakdowns, but how do we handle those breakdowns? Yeah. And that the C this council tends to not do that because they're so. You can see if you're a nine on analyzes pitfalls and a three on risk, you're just looking at how to mitigate the risk or maybe we ought not do this, right? You're not really thinking about, well, how do we make it happen anyway? How do we like mitigate this risk as best we can still move down the, the road and do the things that we need to do that have risk in them? How can we best position ourselves in this risk? So it's, it's an interesting, you know, and, and, and we were very familiar with the team. So when we look at their assessments, it, it all makes a lot of sense because we've been coaching and working with them and reconstituting this team for some time, so. And it helps. I mean, it helps to have a council at times that have a little bit of risking in them because then they can look at it and say, oh, we want to, we want this culture of risking, but also here's the pitfalls, right? That balance is so, is so helpful. Well, if you're not risky, you're not going to want to talk about how you get around those. Right. How you best mitigate them, mitigate them so you can still do what you want to do, right? You're just going to want to not do it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really care about doing it. Yeah. And I want to point out really quick the this idea of interdependence amongst these uh, paradoxes because they don't exist in a vacuum inside of us. And especially that's why we did opinions first because, Adrian, I don't know if you noticed, but I was taking note when you were giving that hypothetical about the CFO and the CEO and where they might lie or where they typically lie on the paradox, how many times you use the word their opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. I want their opinion or they're going to come in strong with their opinion or and I'm just I'm just using that to point out that even as we're talking about this strategic paradox. Right. We're talking about risking and analyzing pitfalls. Mm -hmm. The opinions paradox comes up over and over again. How do we show up when we give our opinion? How do we hold our opinion? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And it and it colors yeah. this strategic paradox. Well, yeah. if I think. If I'm risk adverse and I'm dogmatic, I'll be dogmatic about being risk adverse. That's right. Right. So, so they do, they're very, and it's interesting that in the paradox charts, there's 12 of them there and they line them up three across and four down. Right. So that you see all the paradoxes at once on one chart and that initial row top row is opinions the strategic approach and then strategic, which are all the planning or initiating of a, of a project. So if I have an opinion and I'm really dogmatic about it, when I get to analyzing the risks, I'm going to be dogmatic about what I think the risk profile is rather than be open to exploring the risk profile, wherever that is, however I have that in my mind with my team. And the team will know if, if I'm really dogmatic, they'll know that I'm only open to my opinions. <laughs> so I spent one way I, I create yes men, and then I wonder why we keep getting blindsided or having the same breakdown over and over again. You know, you know that's going on because everybody's got the same complaint every meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about how these, um, you know, these, I guess, two traits, like the, for what we're talking about now is the risking and the analyzes pitfalls. I almost said versus, and that's, I think, part of the issue is it's not, it's not versus, yeah. it's and, right? Both and, both and are always happening for us internally, right? Some relationship to both of these are happening internally. And I was thinking as a leadership culture, um, what's possible is to illuminate these as principles, right? As things we ought to care about and champion and make sure that they're, that they are being illuminated and furthered in, in all these, like in big, at least big decision-making processes. I mean, I'm thinking about, um, I forget where I heard it, some podcast, I don't know, a year ago or so. And it was talking about this idea was to, uh, nominate a devil's advocate in every meeting. Like before the meeting even started, say, oh, Tom, it's your day. You're now the devil's advocate. His job is to say what's not being said, to argue or to like, you know, you know, argue the other side of everything. Right. But that's if this is champion, you don't have to appoint Tom to do it like a fun game, although the game sounds fun to me. Mm-hmm. But it's like this is let's make sure we're being covered. And it will seem like the opposite. We're saying, hey, what's the opposite opinion in the room? Right. You know, what question are we not asking? If we were stupid, where are we stupid? You know, if we were cowards, where are we being cowardly? What should, what would we really do if we took on, like, if we were comfortable, what would we be talking about instead of this little thing? What would we be talking about? How big could the vision be, which is the risking conversation? Why? Or how are we fools, you know, and, and how, what, why might we ought to, instead of thinking next week's a great idea, next month's a great idea, but what are we, where are we being foolish? Like asking myself that question as a, as a principle, what, then which we ought to take on if we actually care about what we say we care about. No, Chad, I, you, it makes me think about you with these, a lot of our social media, you've been very good at that. Very good at, you know, I'm just not cracking this thing, man. We ought to get somebody else in here. And we were obviously, okay, let's take a look at it. But I really appreciated that, that, like they, you kept looking at the pitfalls. You know, we're taking a shot. I'm doing my best, but I don't see it happening. And I think if we keep going down this tube, right, we ought to get somebody with an expertise in here with a proven record, which has really helped us. Yeah. And if you didn't take that stand, we would have not probably made that shift. You know, but it was that, that uh, you know, your willingness to risk that and then point to the pitfalls of continuing down that, 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 it was like perfect. And in fact, opened up a bigger possibility for you later. But in the beginning, you actually reduced your pay, reduced what you were immediately going to get, but it opened up a bigger field down the road. I thought I find that to be most interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Adrian, where do you fall in this paradox? Uh, almost exactly like you again. Maybe we'll find out we're twins most of the time here. Oh, I'm a six. I'm a six on risking and a seven on analyzes pitfalls. So one click less than you on eight on analyzes pitfalls. Okay. So it's so I'm you know I'm whatever seventy five percent in mindful courage. You know, ten to twenty percent cautious and um, whatever math is on the impulsive side. <laughs> So let's, can we talk for a second? We, you put out this scenario of this typical CFO, CEO relationship, and there's kind of a, almost a parental aspect to it. And all of this plays into where we typically, so what are some workaround strategies that um, 
a CEO or a CFO, if let's, let's take the CEO first, um, CEO is high on risking, low on analyzes pitfalls. They're going after it. They're okay with risk. Uh, they don't want to be bothered about all why all the reasons are that this thing's not going to work. They believe in it and it's time to go yesterday. Um, so let's go. And you have the CFO who is saying, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's see. Like, and Adrian, you called one out actually already. Um, where you talked about um, the way that they state the mission yeah. um, to consider the, you know, where the CFO typically lands on this strategic paradox. I'm wondering either, either way, are there any other workarounds that you guys have helped clients use or can think of at the moment that you could use to uh, do? Cause the other thing we want to talk about is like, Again, we talked about this in the other, in the opinions of episode, um, but we can map an entire team on this, uh, on this paradox. And we do. Um, and what can happen is you can have a very unbalanced team, or you can have a very con con contradicting team, right? So you could have a team of six and three of them lie in cautious and three of them lie in, in impulsive. And now the job is to get those get those two fragments of the team to work together in a way that becomes mindful courage. Uh, at least that's, that's the balanced goal. So are there any other workarounds or things that you've thought of or client things that clients have done that have allowed them to communicate and, and get things done in this strategic uh, paradox with somebody who uh, falls different from them? Well, I think you hit it on one is just inviting the team to when you when if you're low on risk if you you know you don't want to risk but you know that risk is necessary it's great to know that who on your team has a balanced view of risk they have they're not afraid of risking but they do a good job of analyzing pitfalls and getting listening you know you, not everybody's advice i would say is equal and knowing somebody <laughs> who is well balanced to guess them to give you know give you input on the risk profile of some of a decision you may be making, a plan you might have in place, or something you're thinking about launching as a founder, if that's the case, then run it by people with that kind of uh, profile on your team who can give you some really clear reasons for, you know, identify the asymmetry in the risk. Is more on the, is there a possible more on the upside than the downside? How is that? And then you'll be able to make a decision that is far more informed than if you're just reacting to your own risk profile. If you're low risk, high analyzing pitfalls, you're naturally going. And, and if you're high on certainty and low on open and reflective, you're probably going to trust your point of view more than you may be missing, you know, you may be trusting him more than necessary. And you can explore by getting somebody who's got a higher risk profile uh, and balanced risk profile that can help you think through the asymmetry before you make the decision, the decision on it. Adrian, if I'm the CFO, how would you help me slow the CEO down or at least invite him into slowing down? Yeah. Them? Well, Good question. I mean, I was just thinking, should we, do we want, I don't know. First thing is we think we need to slow them down. Yeah. And that's usually great, what people think. Great right? catch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's usually think, Oh, hold on. The solution is to slow down the pace. And if, I mean, that's what most people do. And I think it's natural. It's like, Oh, I've got car trouble, pull over. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so no big deal, but I think, I think that would be where to begin is, do I need to slow the person down? Because that actually has a big effect, you know, uh, its own separate effect, mm-hmm. or do I need to make sure that these concerns are being heard, digested, considered, honored, implemented where, where, where necessary, you know, because that's usually the conversation that they want to have. They think they need to like, you know, paternalize the person too. It's like, Oh, this guy, you know, let me, let me put, let me go talk to the teenager. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, that's the, the, the condescension is usually there because, you know, they, people that analyze pitfalls, they're like, they seem, they seem to I mean, super high can come off. Like they're the, they're the, the smart, they're the adult in the room. Yeah. So, you know, I would just, I'd have a, if I was high analyzed pitfalls, by the way, just, and just for the record, like analyze pitfalls is an essential trait for the CEO. Like, you know, we ran my report as CEO and my, it's green and we could talk mm-hmm. about essential and desired traits, but so it's green. So they, um, you know, when you go talk to a CEO that doesn't seem to care about what you care about, I would go say, Hey, I want us to rock and roll here. I want us to move forward. I want us to take risks, right? So you're all of a sudden empathizing with the other, with the other person's high risk profile. Even if they're high on analyzed pitfalls, they might, you know, they could be high, but not acting like it. Um, or they might be low on analyzed pitfalls, but you, I would join them and their concerns first. Hey, I want to, I want this thing to happen. I want this launch to happen. This is a great idea. I'm so glad you're pushing forward. I've got some concerns that I want to make sure don't get in the way of where you want to take us. Mm-hmm. Or you could even ask, you could say, if there were some concerns or if there were some potential breakdowns, you didn't see what you want to know. Because then they, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, yeah, hell, I wouldn't want to know. Then you've got an opening, mm-hmm. right? If they said, no, I wouldn't want to know, well, then you might not want to work there. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's like asking the question in a way that invites them to invite you in. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It, it um, for me, that question, whenever I get asked a question like that, which, you know, we get, we've had opportunities to ask each other that as team members, but also in some of the trainings that we do. And it's just, for me, it's always a powerful way to bring me, um, like I get to choose at that point. Do I want what they're offering? Yeah. You know, and, and if I do, then I'm ears. Yeah. Well, and there's, especially at this high level, the CFO, CEO, there's no passengers in the car. I mean, there's not like, uh, I guess my, my thought is, um, a lot of the dynamics that show up in this conversation um, really illuminate how each person sees themselves in their role, right? This, so meaning if I've got, if, if I'm the CFO in this situation, I've got high concerns that I think the CEO is not listening to. Um, it's not my job to point out the concerns and then stop talking, <laughs> right? It's my job to like point out the concerns and then keep working with the CEO on how to make it work for the company. And if it, to Dan's point, if, if, if I'm the CFO and if, let's, let's say, I think that the CEO is, is being irresponsible and content and won't talk about it and continues to persist on being irresponsible or taking all these risks. But then, you know, then you go have that conversation. Hey, here's a trend. 
here's a trend. I bring up all the stuff that might not work. You don't want to talk about it. And, and this is not an environment that I'm, I, listen, my, na my name's on this line. And if it goes down and if you're not going to be more open or, you know, if you don't want to talk about, think about, you know, these potential problems, we're going to get crushed at some point. And you're going to point at me then. I want you to point at me now and let's talk about it now. Because um, you might not want to work with somebody that doesn't want to consider the, the real possible uh, pitfalls that are coming down the pipe. Yeah, and that'd be something you'd want to pay attention to because yeah. But my broader my, my broader point is like everybody is everybody should be must be whatever ought to be can, you know solution oriented, right? So if you've got if you've got the eye on the problem, that isn't the solution. I mean, that's a part, it's a component. But how do I make it work? Mm. Oh, and that, how do I have my eye on the problem? I mean, I think a lot of this is, of course, this is for another session but i mean the idea that you're there to assess versus find a way to have it work yeah it's like if you're going to assess yeah that's probably the first thing you need to do to discover a way to work but a lot i know for you know a lot of people get their sense of value by being able to point out the flaw <laughs> or at least what they interpret as the flaw yeah uh and so you know, part of what we work with the teams is to show up as a as action, not just assessment. Yeah. How does one show up as, as an active sense? And this, you know, when you can look out and you can see the potential pitfalls and you know what the risk is for, you can then summate, you can come together with an idea of what you what needs to happen, obviously an opinion about what needs to happen to bring that fourth but you can start with declaring what the potential pitfalls are but be sure to follow up with how you're going to correct them or if the pitfalls look greater than the potential value then you can open up an, an inquiry into why would we want to continue to go down this tube is this what we really want or what am i missing right like be open to i may not have all the data that that the CEO is acting on or asking us to act on. Certainly worth that kind of conversation before you, like the tendency though is for people to, it's really interesting to put it under the table instead of come out and voice it. Of course, that's another paradox we can talk about later, but the ability <laughs> to risk and speak what's there, right? Have an honest conversation. I'm, I'm just realizing now in this conversation that when my strategic conversations go sideways, it's when I get dogmatic about the pitfalls that I'm pointing out. Yeah. Right. As if that's the value that I'm bringing mm -hmm. and I've got to be right about those. And the solution is nowhere on my radar. Like the added value of um, here's the pitfalls. Here's what might be possible around that pitfall. You know, that's, that's when they go, well, it's, it's when they go sideways that I'm, I'm there to prove that I am right and valuable because I saw the pitfall. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's pretty natural, right? I mean, if you can see the breakdown, that's the first, really the first step to competency. Now the question is, can you correct the breakdown or can you bring the, the breakdown in a way that people can see that hey, maybe this, maybe this isn't the right idea. Help me see, right? Maybe you're missing something, right? Yeah. Anything else you guys want to end with and add to strategic? 
I just, I just say, yeah, I love, I love having this, this conversation, especially in our dynamics with, you know, very ambitious leaders. They are proud of the risking profile, um, you know, and they, I think they ought to be. And part of what it's um, as they hire, as they hire people, they need to figure out, um, you know, what the either what the preference is or what the appetite is. Yeah. Um, you know, for their level of their level of risk that they prefer. Right. So a high risking person either needs to, you know, either hire other well-balanced high risking people or people that are cool with being imbalanced, but have an appetite. They want to follow somebody that wants to do take on a great venture because you, you hire competent people. This is back. This is back on the first episode in this. We talked about eligibility versus suitability. So to be suitable to work with if I'm a high powered founder or, or you know, high risking founder, um, I might hire some eligible people, but they might not be suitable to work for me because they actually are scared to death and they're always scared to death. And they actually will end up battling me just because they're scared, but they don't get the fact that they just have less of a preference for risking. They'll judge me for being whatever, um, pick a label that doesn't work, you know? So as you, if you're a high risking leader, finding out the suitability of for risk in your organization is really essential. Otherwise you're going to spend all your time justifying why we ought to do something, even despite the, the pitfalls that could come. And I would say, be careful not to label your, like, well, that's what I like about this assessment is, it's not you're a risker or not, it's just the dynamic that you go through to manage risk, right? So right. I like to stay away from labeling because when you label somebody, you negate them, we're always moving, we're always dynamic. And that's yep. to Adrian's point, so. That's great. Yeah. One of the places that I fail uh, in our communication of our work is I assume that people know what value we can bring to them. So I just want to be, as we wrap this episode up, and I think I'll, each one of these, I'll, I'll make this invitation explicitly so that I don't make the assumption that people understand how we can help them is that if what we're talking about, if you see value in this for yourself and for your team and mapping that culture to see how each tend to show up and as a group, we can map this out for you and your team. And it's incredibly powerful. Now we have a, uh, a map on the table that we're looking at um, and, and can help us make strategic decisions, interact with each other, invest in each other uh, and, and really create the culture that you're, that you're wanting to create. So that's my invitation to you. There's a link in this, in the description of this episode, click it, uh, get in touch with us and, uh, and we can come out and, and do this for your team. All right, All right gents. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Chad. Chad. thanks. thanks Dan. Bye-bye everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Podcast.